Welcome, Welcome to family. Whoop. Got a little echo there. Your mic is on. There we go. Oh, my mic was on. Now it's good. Yes. Welcome to the family with Andy Ray Bernard. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I, was, I thought Jimmy Francis was coming in today for some reason. I thought he was coming in to do some magic trick or some deal. Magic trick? I don't know. He's going to do something. I know that. I don't remember what it was, but he was going to do something. He was going to get something cooking, but yeah, we'll have to have him in an, another time. I don't it, think I've got anything from him. Mm-mm. He's a disaster. Right? Right. We've decided. So what's new in the news? Anything uh, Anything really important? Oh, we've got a great guest coming up in about 15, well, not even 15, that's about 12 mm-hmm. minutes from right now. Looking forward to that, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I didn't get a chance today to tell you the truth to look at the news much. We had a lot of stuff going on the morning show, so I'm about to check the headlines for that. I did see, the, did you see the story? I did get to this one on the show. Uh, that's good, Tom. I just brought up Newswere. Yeah, it's not Newswere, but other than that. No? Yeah, now we got it covered. Everything is, now we're good. Uh, I just will read you the headline again because the story, I haven't even read, maybe I will read the story because I haven't read the story yet. Woman 95 tasered by cops at a nursing home. Hmm. That's a real story, by the way. It's not made up. Police in Australia say Claire Nolan refused to drop her steak knife so they had to taser, apparently, they thought. A 95-year-old Australian woman with dementia is in critical condition after being tasered by police officers who were called to her nursing home. Police say staff at the home in Kuma, south of Canberra, told them that Claire Nowland had taken a steak knife from the kitchen, nine news reports. Police say an officer used a stun gun on the fall, a frail woman after she refused to drop the knife and approached others. At the time she was tasered, she was approaching police, but it is fair to say at a slow pace... Uh, New South Wales Police Assistant Commissioner Peter Cotter said she had a walking frame, but she also had, in other words, she had a walker and she had a knife. Rowland is five foot two and weighs 95 pounds, by the way. Very dangerous, don't you Mm. think? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on how quick she was. I suppose. If you got some speed. She was fast. After she was tasered, she fell to the ground and her head hit the floor. Andrew Thaller, a friend of the great grandmother's family, tells the BBC that she suffered a fractured skull. And is not expected to live. Jesus. Well, I mean, 95, a taser, I think, would probably do it to you. That's why I'm wondering, why would you tase a 95-year-old? Because he probably killed her. Yeah, sounds like it. It sounds like he did anyway. Uh, The family are shocked, they're confused, and the community is outraged. How can this happen? How do you explain this level of force? It's absurd, police said. The officer uh, involved has 12 years of experience on the force has been taken off active duty right now, though Thaler says Roland is well-known in the community. In 2008, she appeared on TV with a skydive over Canberra to mark her 80th birthday. Nicole Lee, president of the People with Disability Australia Advocacy Group, uh, says Roland should have been treated with compassion and uh, time, not a stun gun. She's either one hell of an agile, fit, fast, intimidating 95-year-old woman, or there's a very poor lack of judgment on those police officers, and there really uh, uh, needs to be some accountability on their side. Yeah, if she dies, i got to believe that guy's going to, or could have been a woman that taser, I don't know. But uh, i got to believe they got some problems coming, don't you think? That depends. I mean, if they they were, like, cornered or something, it's like, you know, what can you do? I suppose if she, I mean, a 95-pound woman, even a 95-pound woman with a knife is dangerous. Yeah, but if there was an escape, then they obviously should have taken it. Yeah, they should have. I don't really understand why the hell they did that, why you do something like that, but what are you going to do? 
Other great news coming from uh, the uh, news wire this morning. I like to still call it, even though it's not a wire anymore, I still like to call it the, new, call it the news wire. It this sounds very official. Copper wire, coaxial cable. That's true. 6.8 million cars may have explosive airbag problem. 12 brands, including BMW and GM, are linked, but airbag manufacturers refusing a recall. So the people who manufactured faulty airbags refuses to recall them? Hmm. That makes no sense to me. An investigation by the Wall Street Journal reveals that up to 50 car models and 12 brands might be equipped with potentially explosive airbag inflators. That's 6.8 million cars, according to the journal. The paper arrived at these numbers by examining documentation from automakers given to the National Highway Safety Administration. During an eight-year investigation, the problematic inflators were made by ARC Automotive, based in Knoxville, Tennessee, per the AP. And there's a uh, dispute playing out between the feds and the manufacturer. The former wants a recall, and the latter needs no, uh, sees no need for that. Now, if they're exploding, why do you, how can you see no need for that, a recall? Well, I guess it depends on how often they're... Well, it says it's in rare cases can explode. Yeah. So, I mean, how rare are we talking? Is it like, you know, meteor strikes your car or... Yeah, because, I mean, you don't want to call, call recall 6.8 million bags if you don't need to. Right. I, can I just see wonder, that. like, what's going to make these airbags explode? And, like, if you're in a crash that's so bad that your airbag's exploding, you're probably not going to live anyway. It says here the inflators reportedly have the potential to explode upon activation rather than deploying the airbag in a controlled manner. Hmm. But doesn't that, doesn't that have great. doesn't it have to explode for the bag to come out? Well, yeah, that's the thing is they are explosive. All yeah, airbags are, have yes. explosive charges in them. That's how they inflate so quickly. Well, so I yeah. guess maybe the explosion isn't controlled properly, if I had to guess. But how do you let something like that slip under the radar? Well, apparently the people who made the airbags say that there is no defect and that the NHTSA's demand is based on a hypothesis rather than technical conclusions. Oh, so they have no proof they, that they explode too quickly? Well, that's what ARC says. So it's like, who's telling the truth? Yeah, I guess. I guess, I guess that's the whole situation. Uh, I have not been, now it's been, as a matter of fact, this is my eighth day of not watching the national news anymore, and I'm very, very happy that I'm doing that. Your mother requested, because remember, before she left, she had to go to Florida, and before she left, she said, Could, for Mother's Day, I want you to do me a favor. For Mother's Day, as a gift from you, all I want is for you to stop watching the national news, and that would be Fox and, and CNN and MSNBC and, and Newsmax and all of them. So I said, okay, fine. She said, would you do that for one year? I said, yep, I'll not, I don't have to watch the National News for one year. Um, I don't really understand. Oh, so this is a, there's a new Drudge Report. Fox Primetime is getting an overhaul. But it's not really getting an overhaul, is it? They're replacing Tucker with Hannity, at last I heard. But they were already on. They weren't on back-to-back, though. No, he, Hannity was on right after him, wasn't he? Well, I guess it makes sense then. Basically, no change. They're probably I, I just going to right be on that. for... How long was Tucker on for? An hour? Uh, yes, they're all on for about an hour. So maybe Hannity's going to be on for two hours. I could see that. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? 
Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether or not you decide you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy (laughs) if i'm hanging out with you Uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. What's the latest? Eh, you know, it's chilly outside, not smoky. Oh, so is that our si- guest? It is 60, 60 uh, yeah, it's only 60 degrees for the high today. 59, yeah. 59 it's, right now? No, it's, that's the high. Well, it's only 49 right now. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was about to walk out the door in shorts, and Melissa's like, you know, it's going to be 59 for the high. What do you uh, have yeah, What do you have in sitting, Andy? I'll set him up. Oh, Andy's going to come in and get everything all set up. We're going to schmooze. We're going to have a good time. Everything will be... See, I like that. So it, you it's want it. to be closer or what do you want me to uh, what, what, Andy will tell you where to go. He'll, he'll, he'll handle it. Turn on your mic and then I'll get it set up on camera. Okay, that'll be, that's, a good, that's a good plan. We're getting everything all teed up, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be schmoozing about some, some pretty fascinating stuff, as a matter of fact. How do you pronounce your last name? Schlissel. It is Schlissel. I thought yeah. so. It's either Schlissel or Schlissel. Yeah, no, I know. It's but always, I, I've heard a million ways. Uh, you walked you. into the right place, I will tell you, just looking at the, uh, at the content of our discussion. Let me put on a hat. You're going to put your hat on? Oh, you got a hat. Oh, look at that. He's got his hat, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if I'm going to be on camera, I might as well look good. You got to have your hat on if you're going to be on camera. There's no question about it. Well, thank you for coming in today. Absolutely. Thanks I, for having me. God, I didn't even look at the fact that it's only 49 degrees right now. I mean, it's almost June. We can we can heat. <laughs> although, starting tomorrow, the rest of the week looks fantastic. I mean, six days in a row, it's going to be somewhere between the mid-70s and the uh, low 80s. Uh, actually, even mid-80s by the end of the week. We'll take care of it. Dan Schlissel's in studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're setting up the microphone and the uh, camera right now. 
newly remastered on vinyl. Richard Pryor back on vinyl live at the Comedy Store in 1973 makes its vinyl debut, plus first two albums restored and expanded. Uh, there are many, many things I want to talk to uh, Dan about. Whoa, got a little, little feedback cooking. Oh, you got them now, though. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I'm going to go a little farther back. So it's not right up in his face? Just straight up my nose. Perfect. Straight up the nose. <laughs> Where are you from originally, Dan? Originally born in Massachusetts in uh, Worcester. Oh, you were born in Worcester? Yeah, but moved around a lot. Do people still call it Worcester? Uh, people who don't know better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Worcester's like, no, it's not Worcester, sorry. No, of course. So, so, so where so do you live now? Oh, let me get that mic up again, Andy. We got an extra mic up in here somewhere. Okay, there we go. You got it. Andy's got it. Andy, thank you very much because there's no way I could do that without Andy. Oh, I get it. I got no shot at all. So, where do you live now? I live here in the Twin Cities in Bloomington, yeah. Oh, you live in Bloomington. So, how'd you go from Massachusetts to to Minneapolis? Uh, You know, my my folks moved around a lot. That's really what it came down to. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a military thing, but my dad, uh, he was a textiles guy, and he moved where the work was, and eventually it took us to the middle of Nebraska. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, from there, you know, I, I went to junior high and high school there, then I went to the university, and then 10 years after I started the university, I kind of couldn't get a real job anywhere anymore, so I moved really? here. Really? Yeah. Oh, so you, your family never lived here. You moved, you just I moved, moved here. here yeah. oh, you moved here. Yeah. Because I was going to how tall are you? Uh, normally six foot four, but I'm a bit bent up. Uh, six foot, the only reason I ask you that is you fit in much better in Minnesota than you would in Massachusetts. You'd be about a foot taller than everybody in Massachusetts. Even in, even in Nebraska. <laughs> it was great when I was going to rock shows. No one could stand in front of me and block my view. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> here, it's, it's like, true. oh, man, I'm the littlest giant. A lot of giants live here. There's Man, no and that. how? Paul Bunyan land. Paul Bun- yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I'm 5'11", and I remember when I was a teenager, I was, like, always the tallest one in the room. But now, there's, like, 16-year-old kids who are in their six-foot-something. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is so tall here all of a sudden. No, that's true. A lot of it's Scandinavians. Scandinavian. There's a know, guy. Like, even compared to just, like, previous generations, it seems like kids yeah. are, like, a yeah. foot taller than they used to be. <laughs> right. Good I, nutrition. I, I, might that must be. be what it is. Maybe it's those multivitamins. <laughs> uh, Dan, you couldn't have found a better studio to wander into because there is no bigger fan of Richard Pryor on, on Earth. Maybe you and I are shoulder to shoulder. It could be close. I don't know. But I, I man, to this day, and I know he had a very troubled life and was not always that pleasant a person and all the rest of it. Right. But what he did to change comedy, I will never forget as long as I live. I mean, sea change when he came along, yep. you know, end change too, I guess, you know. Yeah. He, he really broke a lot of language barriers, a lot of taboos. Pretty, pretty amazing character. And, you know, the thing was he let everybody in in the roughness of his life. He wouldn't let things yes. just sit without commenting on them himself. You know, what's interesting about that, Dan, is that's the exact reason why I loved him, because I had a very troubled childhood myself. And to hear somebody come up and be honest about it, well, let me put it this way. My grandmother was not a madam. Got and, it. And my mother was not a whore. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so he dealt with a lot more than I did. There's no question about that. But just to hear a man come along, the only thing I regret I do have, Dan Schlissel, our very special guest in studio again, Richard Pryor, back on vinyl, live at the Comedy Store in 1973, makes its vinyl debut, plus first two albums restored and expanded, which is great news. Standuprecords.com, correct? correct. That's yep. where you look. Um, 
But looking at Richard Pryor and, and the way he lived his life was very, very open and honest about everything, which can't be easy. I don't ever remember anybody mean. Obviously, you had a couple of people that came before Richard Pryor. Uh, it never ended well. Right. You know, unfortunately, it's, it's true. Uh, but Richard came along, and I, I was trying to think of the first time I ever saw Richard Pryor. I'm assuming it was probably on Ed Sullivan. I would think that's, you know, National Nationally. Exposure was, was a major network. Yeah, so I, and I believe Ed Sullivan was the first big one he ever went on, I think. You know, I don't have the exact. I, know I don't either. He was on right. a lot of those shows, so. The biggest problem I do have with Richard is that I can never say the name of one of his albums in public. <laughs> well, you know, I... <laughs> it can't happen. There are track titles even on his first album where it's like, I can't say that. Yeah. No, yeah. it's absolutely true. Do you know his... Obviously, I, I, I would imagine you spent, Dan, a lot of time looking into Richard Pryor. What his... We already mentioned the fact that his grandmother was a madam. His mother worked as a hooker for her own mother. Right. Uh, didn't seem like Richard had a very good, ex- uh, very good uh, exchange going on with his father. Right. I mean, did he have anybody he could count on? You know, I think that uh, being in that position of being a little kid in a, in a mm-hmm. house of ill repute, as they say, yeah. I think that just gives you lifelong trust issues. Because when your mom, oh, yeah. when your mom's a madam and you can't, or your grandmother's a madam and your mom's a prostitute, you can't really go to them for <laughs> no for safety. You know, no, you cannot. And this that was where it was in uh, Joliet, oh, Peoria, Illinois. That's right. Oh my God! One of the greatest lines of ever. Again, a line I can't say all of, Dan. <laughs> but a guy in the crowd, he, 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 I was born in Peoria, Illinois. And a guy yells out, what's that? <laughs> and Richard says back to him, it's a city, big end. <laughs> like, whoa. So you can't, there, seriously, there's not one line he ever said that I could, I could repeat as yeah, a white man I mean, in America. Well, you know, there's certain words you shouldn't have to repeat, you know? Yeah. It's such an ugly history of the words. Yes. So, and the use of it, you know, it wasn't, it was to dehumanize. So, of course, you don't. Just courtesy alone makes you not want to use it. I, right. I never have. I felt bad when we were doing the graphic design for the album. Basically, the the album titles are not the the, the track titles are not censored at all. Oh, and yo, I, well, and, you got problems. And, well, I had a, I had a real <laughs> quandary about whether I should censor them, and I'm like, these are Richard's records. He was cool with it. Yeah, I'm gonna be cool with it, and whatever he I get from it, I'll just tell people you have a problem. I can give you, you know, where his, where his plot is, and you can go talk to his grave and work it out that yeah. way because he's the yep. guy who did this. Yeah, no question about it. See, for me, Dan, i got to be very honest with you, he opened a door for me because I think at least as a young teen and, and in my 20s when all this stuff uh, debuted, I thought that Richard Pryor was coming to us and saying, I, want, I don't care if you're black, you're white, you're whatever color your skin color is. I want you to say the big N as much as you can so we just wear it out and get rid of it. Yeah, I think there might have been an element of that at first. Yeah. To take the, but, I mean, that was more him taking the personal sting out of what he'd been called. Exactly. I, I don't think any one person has the ability to absolve everyone ever. No. Yeah. No, that's very <laughs> true. But he wanted us, in a way, I think, to get comfortable with the word so we just get rid of it. But I haven't anybody heard anybody use that word off stage or out of a movie, in, outside of a movie, in years. Right. So I guess it may have worked. 
At least it might have been an element. I mean, you know, just because you don't hear it in polite society doesn't mean it's not said, and, you know. Well, that's true. There might be a state or two in and, the South. And worse, and worse yet, whether or not it's said, the thought that goes through people's minds, yeah. that's really more what he wanted to get rid of. The word doesn't really matter, ultimately. It's the thought of people being second class, yeah. being lined up by police for accusations of you know, sexual assault that didn't exist, right, right. all that kind of stuff. I think that's more what he was – get the thought out of everyone's head more than the word. And I, from what I, all the research I've ever done tells me one thing, that that word came from Irish immigrants who could not pronounce the word Negro. That doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. But, and they, they insist that's where the, the big N came from. Right. They were just mispronouncing another word. But then that word came along and said, ooh, this is our own special American version of an insult. Right. Well, you know, when it's so closely uh, tied to owning people. Yeah, yeah. When you own people, you dehumanize them. So what do you do? You don't call them people. You call them something else. And the same thing happened. Right. To, you know, Irish people were called plenty of things oh. as well. Oh, yes, they were. You know, every no minority in, in the United States was called something at some point. But for most of us, we've graduated beyond that at this point. For most of us, not everybody. Did you, when you put this whole project together, were you able to talk to his daughter, his son? Uh, I was talking with his widow primarily. Oh, his widow, okay. Because yeah. his his daughter and son are two very nice people. They really are. You know, I've only had one in- email interchange with Rain, and she was great. And she's a very nice person, right? Yeah. I talked to her for the first time. God, I, you know, I can't even tell you how many years ago. And then Richard Pryor Jr., he's, he's trying to make a name for himself. Right. And when your name is Richard Pryor Jr., it's a bitch to make a name for yourself. <laughs> yeah, the weight on your shoulders, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of weight on there. <laughs> but I, I, I honestly remember seeing him on Ed Sullivan way, way back in the day. And then that first album came. Well, it wasn't his first album, but it was the first big album. Right. Came out. And it's That Big In, that big in is Crazy was right. the name of the album. I, the first time I put that piece of vinyl, because it came on vinyl at that time, I put that on my record player, right. which there are, I suppose there are still turntables Oh, out no, there. there's more turntables now than that, there have been. That's what I've heard, yeah. So that's great news. Are you involved in that at all? Yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what so my So that's exactly are. what it is. Yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing double vinyl records on yeah. all three of these. So, so and it, it's made that big an impact. That, that first, Am I wrong, Dan, that, but the sound from a turntable is different? Yeah, because you're playing it through a needle, so you know it's a physical feedback to the actual thing, and right. it's amplified. Yep. And there, because of the amplification, there can be a bit of warmth to it that isn't involved in other formats. When it's a digital signal, it's just straight through. Mm-hmm. But when it's an analog signal, it has to be amplified to be able to be played properly. So that colors the sound a little bit here and there, and it makes it feel warmer to most folks. God, sitting listening to that album for the first time, talking about all the different things, and there was a gypsy on there, and and he talked about her. I mean, honest to God, I will never forget the first time I heard that album, and I played it over and over, and my mother would come up and go, would you turn that down because of his language? (laughs) Right. I'm like, yes, Mom, I'll turn it down because of his language. That, I think, will never, ever be topped as the best comedy album of all time. It's a great one. I mean, I you know we we didn't quite get to that one in this series of three right. issues. I, could see I hope that. we yep. do eventually. Yep. But uh, you know, it is it is the best album, and the best thing about one of the best things about it is it was issued by uh, Soul Label Stacks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that was really cool. It made you feel like it was really part of something that you weren't privy to before. God, Dan, I have not heard Stacks and Volt in a long time, right. man. Because I, I was in the record business from 19, what is it, 77 to about, no, no, I guess it was 77 to 83. 
Right. Was. And I miss vinyl. I, I don't have. I don't know what the hell happened on my vinyl. I have no idea. We moved. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> so somebody brought it home with them. Yeah, either someone <laughs> brought it home or it was just too heavy. Well, that's a possibility. Well, there's a, there's a phenomenon I've uh, discovered that when you move, each item has about a 1% chance of just stopping existing. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a micro black hole opens up or, you know, it's, but yeah, they're well, gone forever. But those of us that move when we're married, you know, that black hole widens a little bit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose that's true. Do you, um, now do you have, do you have children yourself? I do. And how old? Ballpark? 14. For 14 years old, yeah, boy or girl, girl, and what does she think of of Richard Pryor? She has not heard Richard Pryor yet, but she's heard a whole <laughs> plethora of language. <laughs> so you hadn't heard Pryor yet. You're, you're holding off on her. Uh, yeah, I don't think she's quite ready for a couple yeah. of the things. 14, yes, two years. In about a year, year and a half. Yeah, maybe yeah. 16, something yeah. like that. That'd be good. But I, I, I just, is there anyone? And I'm not going to jump to this. I just want to ask a quick question. Sure. Is there anyone now even close to coming uh, coming across with that Richard Pryor type of? I suppose Dave Chappelle was the last guy that had that kind of influence. Kinda, but I don't think he comes close to Richard. I mean, no, he doesn't. He's certainly pushing an edge, but you know that he he wasn't raised in the same way. Right. So the truths that he says have to build on what came before. You know, so it really it leads directly back to Richard. But I don't yes. think he can. I don't think anyone quite has the impact. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Richard's the greatest who ever did it. I agree with you 100. percent And I do. You think that to be that good and to look that deeply into yourself, do you have to live a miserable existence for a while? I think facing those things makes it miserable, even yeah. if you didn't realize it before. Yeah. You know, when you get older, you start realizing that some of the stuff that you grew up with wasn't quite what you thought it was when you were a kid. <laughs> well, that's very true. But then when you have the depth of, you know, human despair as part of your, your upbringing, yeah. and, and that starts coming out, I can see why you would turn to substances and other stuff to kind of get away from it. Do people still go out and, and purchase Richard Pryor recordings? You know, they do. I don't know about the vinyl just yet. We're going yeah, to find that out. Yeah, just yet. You don't know yet. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, there, there was. this is part of a series of reissues that was done by originally by Omnivore Records. Okay. So the CDs and digital versions came out about two years ago. I and love it, the name Om, Omnivore, by the way. It's a great name. Yeah, it's super I'll good. eat anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But when I, when I contacted them, they really didn't have any vinyl plans, so they were happy to have me on board. Okay, good. And, uh, you know, that was a very nice thing. And being able to remaster a little bit, even from what they had, on one of the records we had to in order to cut vinyl. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to cut to the length that right, we needed it to. Right. So, you know, the fact that they walked us through every step of that and were along with us for the ride and approving things, it, it was really, really a good, positive working relationship. Do you expect it to be harder when you started? Uh, as far as the prior thing? Uh, as far as anybody cooperating with you and, uh, no, at any level? At this point, no. When I started ha trying for cooperation, you know, it was a little bit more significant. But after yeah. 200 and almost 50 records. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what was the first one? Uh, for comedy, the first record was Lewis Black. Oh, was it really? Yeah. I love Lewis. Lewis is a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We recorded in Madison, Wisconsin oh, okay. in, uh, around Thanksgiving in 99. Um, the recordings, how many recordings are comedy? 
On on well on the current label stand up records almost all of them are almost comedy. all of them yeah yeah there's what? some musical comedy but that's the the only thing I would say is different mm-hmm. I, but I started as an independent rock label years before that mm-hmm. anybody I I know on your label on the music label yeah uh, I, I'm one of about a half dozen people that helped discover Slipknot really yeah. that's pretty damn cool yeah yeah it was all right it was an interesting time you know uh, yeah different. Uh, Back then, I did all my deals as a handshake, so that I learned a little lesson there. Oh, you, we were just talking about that yesterday. People taking advantage of your position, my position, whatever. It's It gets old. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was bittersweet because as they made it, I was no longer in the picture. But oh, this, sure, yeah. But this is the way it goes, you know. No, it is the way it goes. What drove you to comedy? Uh I think moving to Nebraska in part. <laughs> Nothing to do. <laughs> well, you know, we moved there three days before I started seventh grade, and I didn't exactly fit oh, in. No. So comedy I... was a good good thing to retreat to. But I had already, as a younger child, I'd already been listening and to comedy records and watching stuff on TV with my folks. So I already had an affinity towards it. Ballpark, how old are you? I am 52. So you're probably not old enough to remember the Johnny Carson show. Oh, I totally do. Oh, do you really? Yeah, that's some of the first comedy I ever saw. Boy, it's been off the air like 30 years already, hasn't it? Something like that. 31, I think. 31 years. There you go. So you were a teenager. Uh, Actually, when I started seeing Carson, I was in my single digits. Oh, were you? Yeah. (laughs) Me too, actually. My folks would uh, oftentimes go visit one of my aunts and say, they were going out for the night, don't let me go to bed late. And then the next morning at breakfast, I'd be reciting lines from the monologue. (laughs) Did yeah. they like that a lot? Uh, they didn't like it, but, you know, kids saying whatever was pretty cute, so they didn't yell too much. Those are some of my fondest memories. Do you remember the first comedian you ever saw on The Carson Show? I think it had to be David Brenner. Mm, that's a good guess, because yeah. he was on a lot. Yeah. God, what an era of comedy that was. It was just that whole, I don't know how many decades it went on. I suppose right up until maybe just before the pandemic or something. Right. We need to get back to that because, my God, comedy. All the people you mentioned, and we've lost several of them now. Right. The Louis Andersons of the world, obviously. And, you know, God, there are just too many to even bring up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the losses are staggering. But thank goodness we had Louis. I remember seeing him the first time he was on Carson. And just, you know, the fact that I could call him a friend by the end of his life was Mm -hmm. pretty... It's a pretty surreal journey that I've been on. So Called know. him over to the couch his very first night. Yep. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's success. That's the mark of it back in those days. But, I mean, doing this job, people would come through. Louie would come in and sit in the studio. Gilbert Gottfried. Right. I mean, yeah. Like I said, there's too many to mention at this juncture. Um, we are, Do people understand, and this might sound like a, maybe a weird question, but... I don't get the impression that people understand that humor is as important as it really is right now. I don't see how you couldn't. I don't. I mean, it takes. I know. It takes. Uh, you know, with the background I've seen on most folks, you know, you, you go through a fair amount of tragedy, and if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question, and that's what what did it for me. Well, two uh, two albums did it for me. Richard Pryor's first album. And then uh, Mar- Marvin Gaye's uh, What's Going On What's album. Going On is fantastic. I listened to those two albums over and over and over again as a teenager because it inspired me to move forward. Right. And you know, we had a tough deal with my dad. They were living in North Minneapolis, a lot of bad stuff going on. Right. Those two albums probably saved my sanity. I'm very serious about that. Because when I would get very depressed or whatever about this, that, or the other thing, you listen to a, one of the greatest singers of all time, 
and one of the greatest comedians of all time. I didn't know it at the time. How could you? How it was just you? what was in the in the water, basically. So great music, great singing, and with intent, you know, what's going on was asked for a very specific reason, and he was absolutely right. And, of course, here's a guy who gets killed by his own father. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, God. Yeah, that that's like the ultimate in tragedy. It really is. Well, and then even Richard surviving, you know. Yes. His attempt at ending his life and then, you know, getting taken down by just bad disease. Yeah, he did. Well, he did bring that on himself. He really The fire, did. yeah. The he MS, did. not so much. Yeah, well, they're not the MS. No, yeah. you're absolutely right about that. I remember being very, very sad when I found out that Richard Pryor had died because I thought he'd live forever. Yeah. It was one of those kind of things. I literally can sit here, Dan, and tell you, uh, living at my mother's house, and I told you, she asked me to keep it down because of all the F-bombs that had come right. flying out. But I remember listening to those albums, and particularly Crazy. I just call it Crazy. Yeah. because <laughs> it's, it's a good idea. It inspired me to be happy. Right. Do people realize that, that maybe you're having a tough time, you're you know, slogging through life, your mom left, your dad left, somebody died or whatever. Turn to comedy because it'll, it will help people make it through, don't you think? A good laugh lightens the load. That's why they always say laughter is the best medicine. And they're absolutely right. It is the best medicine. Andy, what do you think of that? I think, well, so we used to have comedians on twice a week yes, for a yeah. long time. Before the pandemic, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's about when we got rid of them because they just started becoming very unfunny. <laughs> well, they and did. Yeah, back then they did. Yeah. I have noticed a growing trend in... So Richard Pryor, his whole thing was basically uh, observational humor. You know, mm-hmm. it's like... Yes, right. These are our differences, but they don't matter, that sort of thing. Yeah, back when he was in his clean days, yeah. <clears throat> right, yes. <laughs> and I think clean. a lot of comedians yeah. saw stuff like that and they kind of misunderstood what they were supposed to be taking from it. Oh, maybe. Because they instead started obsessing about differences and why anyone different from them is a bad person. Yeah, I, I, you're right about that, Andy. I never understood why they would do that. It's like, we're all in this together. We're trying to laugh, right? Yeah, but a lot of people, it's like, I, don't, I think it, I, not a lot of people would call Richard Pryor nuanced. But I think no. he was too nuanced for some comedians, if you can believe it. Really? I'll, because I think, like I said, a lot of them, they grew up with Richard Pryor and people like, you know, George Carlin. Mm-hmm. There's always been comedians whose entire thing is basically like highlighting the absurdity of society. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. But you have to have some amount of intelligence to do that without just becoming bitter and cynical. And most of the comedians who attempted it ended up just getting very, very bitter. So they would just come in and they'd be like, you know, why doesn't society act the way I want them to? This sucks. But that's not really comedy. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I really like the fact that my son, for the last 11 years, all the way back to when he's 24, 25 years old, spent a lot of time in this studio and our previous studio meeting so many famous comedians. Oh, yeah, tons of comedians. You met them all. But I think that was really good for you to observe them and learn from that kind of thing. Don't you think that was good for you to to, to have done that? I think so. I think we just should have stopped about a year short. (laughs) Well, I think it might be time. It it might not be time quite yet, but it's coming again. Was it 1982? Was that when the big comedy resurgence came about? Roughly, yeah. About 1980. It may have saved America. 
Really? How so? Oh, because I think the late 70s, we had just gone, the 60s were horrible, obviously, Mm -hmm. with everybody being killed. Right. You know, the Kennedys and and Martin Luther King, and you just go down the list of all the people. So the 70s were kind of, so 60s were very, very, and I was supposed to graduate high school in 69, so I'm a teenage boy the whole era, and I'm looking around going, what is wrong with you people? Right. You know, what the hell are you doing? I think what's going on came out in seventy, didn't it? I think or seventy one. I like thought that. it was a seventy one, but I, you know, it might seventy one might be right. Not fixed in my head, so I don't. No, know. it's not my. It's seventy seventy one, but I think you're right. It is seventy one, and then uh, crazy came out. What year? Uh, seventy two. That was so. That was seventy two. I thought it might have been the same Wait, year, but it was no, uh, no, seventy three, seventy three. Sorry, seventy three. So it was yep. two years apart. Yep. So within a two year period, I'm still not in my twenties yet. At that time, I'm about to be going in my twenties during that period. And I get to come across Richard Pryor and Marvin Gaye. What great timing for me. Yeah, you know, it's almost a miracle that you're walking the earth the same time as those two guys. That's exactly how I feel about it. You're yeah. absolutely right about that. And then we come down the, down the pike about nine years later, and comedy makes a gigantic resurgence. Do you remember what caused that whole thing? Why, it, why did it go away? Was it just too much suffering in the 60s? That you couldn't really tell jokes about it. No, I think I think people were starting to tell jokes about it, and that's what Pryor and Carlin were really doing yeah. when they started yeah. to reemerge as more uh, countercultury uh, characters instead of being the clean, yeah. straight up Ed Sullivan acts. You know, Carlin grew out his hair. Richard started using language more freely, right? Than and George did as well. So I think that was really the start of it. And then you know, Saturday Night Live gets introduced in what seventy six, right? And uh, Carlin's the first host. Pryor's mm-hmm. on there. There was an Emmy for writing with Carl with a uh, Pryor. I mean, so I think that uh, that's like the the ground level. You know, National Lampoon's being published. Mad is at the top right. of its circulation. Right. So I think from a very early age, you know, kids reading Mad all the way through college, kids reading National Lampoon and mm-hmm. the Radio Hour, and then you have Carlin and Pryor making concert films and. Being on HBO, I think all of that leads to you know Richard Klein or Robert Klein as well, and uh, that leads to a, a growing and growing influence. And comedy clubs start popping up all over the U.S. at about the same time. It's really cheap to put a microphone in right. front of a brick wall, right? So the entertainment level is you know it, it doesn't cost a lot to do it, and you can get a big audience in there, and you can sell a lot of drinks. And then that leads to there's this, all this output where do you put it well you can put it on this new pay service hbo and then yeah can, that's right and then you can water cable doesn't need to be censored quite so much so then you have you know uh an, e- an evening at the improv and carolines and all these other shows and all sorts of regional shows popping up mm-hmm. that allow stand-ups to tour and be on tv and that's what led to the boom but then overexposure people finally said if i can see it for free at home why go to a bar and that's what that's kind of, true. That's yeah, kind that's of what led to the decline. You know, there are people like uh, Sam Kinison. Right. The, all those Houston guys. How did that whole Houston thing happen? Do you do you know about that? I mean, it, it, it started with one of the clubs popping up in answer to, uh, to you know, uh, Catch a Rising Star in the Improv. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's in New York, and it can't be everywhere because it wasn't nationally. Right. You know, not enough money at that point. So local places start popping up, and people just start flocking to it and trying stuff out. 
So in Houston, you have a group. You have what Jimmy Pineapple, Bill Hicks, uh, Ron Shock, yeah, you know Sam Kinison, and and once you have a group of like-minded people, then the idea is you know you go do your open mic, but then you go to Denny's or whatever afterwards, and you're trying to make each other laugh, and it makes everyone funnier, sharper, you know. So the the only way to really improve is to be around people who are like-minded and better than you. Were you here for the beginning of Mickey Finn's? No, no. I was. I moved here really late, comparatively. Oh, uh, comparatively, okay. Yeah, but I know about it because we uh, we have a special we're trying to clear rights on for uh, Wild Bill Bauer. And oh yeah. We filmed an intro, brilliant, posthumous to Bill's passing. You know, post Bill's passing, and we filmed Louie at the uh, Max Industrial Bar. Oh yeah. The old location, which was yep. Mickey Finn's. Was Mickey Finn's? Yeah. So that's how I found out more about that. It was so brilliant that it wasn't downtown, but it was right on the edge of downtown. Right. And it was right next to the campus. Right. I mean, that was a brilliant placing right there. And was Louis involved in, in that whole thing, or did he just happen to be one of the first headliners there? Uh, no, he was involved in it. I thought so. Yeah. I thought he was. Uh, I never talked to Louis. And, I mean, Andy knew Louis from the time he was a little kid. Louis got very close to the family. Right. It was tough losing him, I will tell you that. You know, I, it took me a year to even process it. Mm-hmm. It was just such a big uh, smoking crater in my in my mind, you know. I will never forget, Catherine. We used to go, when I was KQ, we'd go out and do shows in Vegas. So we went to pick up Louie one night to take to dinner. Catherine, my wife, and I picked up Louie to go to dinner. And Louie comes walking out, and he's wearing this very widely spread, about six-inch striped shirt. It was blue and orange. <laughs> and there were these huge stripes. And, you know, Louie wore a pretty big shirt, no yeah. doubt about that. And so Catherine is looking at him, and Louie goes, what? She goes, what do you mean, what? And he goes, you're looking at me, what? She goes, you don't want to know. He goes, I want to know. She said, that is the ugliest shirt I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he went back in the hotel and changed his shirt. And that Christmas, this huge crate shows up at our house. I mean, this, this box, do you remember when that box came, Andy? Yeah. This huge crate shows up at our house. 2005, 2004? That's about right. Yeah, it's about right. We open it up, and Louis had taken that shirt and stuffed it like a pillow and sent it to Catherine for Christmas. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's Whatever. pretty amazing. Where is that pillow, Andy? I have no idea. God, I hope that Catherine didn't throw that away. I think it got damaged over the years. No, maybe it did. But, I mean, it was... The little kids would love it because the arms would sticking out were sticking out like this, so they would get under Louis's arms and put mm-hmm. their heads back. It right. was fantastic. That's great. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this might be a little, a little sideline, but but I really do miss the Louis of the world. Scott Hansen was just a great guy. We we had talked about, you know, all the people coming through town here and all the rest of it. Nick Swardson was inspired by these people. Still right. got a great career going. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights. 
rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this. If the adjuster really, truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Is it true that Minnesotans are bigger fans of comedy than just about anywhere else? Because you're always told that. I mean, the, the audiences here are smart. Yeah, they are. That's true. And they come out. And for the most part, they listen. They don't interrupt. So that's, that's right. pretty great, too. Because, you know, when fo- a, a big misconception is that folks think heckling is helping the show and giving the I, comic material. Why? And it isn't. No. Oh, God, no. Don't heckle. It isn't. You know, you, the comic is there, with, and he's he or she has whatever they have in their mind that they want to get out. And there's a time limit. Yeah, that's right. Especially on a Friday yep. or Saturday. You have to turn the audience. You have to get your, your contractually obligated time in. And you want to make sure everyone had a good time. Well, I think a big part of it is because on YouTube... There's like 10 million videos of a comedian, you know, smacking down a heckler. Oh, with right. a guitar and, and all that. No, yeah. not, I mean, <laughs> well, well, there is one. With there is guitar, guitar with words. <laughs> but I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, the heckler, you know, made this funny moment that made it oh, on YouTube. God. So I'm going to contribute by being the heckler. And then the comedian's going to snap back at me, and then it'll be an epic moment. But I've started making fun of those videos by saying, instead of comedian destroys heckler, I say comedian employs heckler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Where he make him a little well, money. Also, yeah. what you don't see is the 90% of the time where the heckler just wrecks the show. Yeah, no well, one's I would uploading. Say it's even higher. No one's uploading Heckler ruins flow to YouTube. Yeah, generally, I would say it's closer to ninety-eight percent of hecklers ruin things. Yeah, most comedians aren't really equipped to. do You have to be a very specific kind of person to be able to be interrupted in the middle of a set, right? And not only gracefully recover, but introduce it into your material. Absolutely. And maybe one out of a hundred comedians are capable of doing that well. Yeah. I yeah, it's really hard to extricate yourself because sometimes you go down a path that is so harsh and so dark, it just turns the audience off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, do you have 15 more minutes? I do. Because the show goes 15 more minutes, and they, I said you might have had to, have to lead 11 o'clock, but if you can stay 15 more yeah, minutes. I can say. You can stay till the end of the show. Now sure. we're talking. I'm all Now for we're it. cooking with gas. I um, Is it – because you get to know a lot of comedians throughout your life, right? You've met a lot of Mandy. You've met every – comedian ever born because of being on the show and all the rest of it is it 
interesting because it is certainly is for me when it started, I suppose, 30 years ago or 25 years ago now. Because when I was at KQ, I did not know that morning shows never had comedians come in. Huh. It just never happened. And so like 35 years ago, we said, they make you laugh. Bring them in. Well, they can't do their material. It's too filthy. I said, they understand that. Not a problem. So we were, we were very, very lucky over the years. Everybody, I cannot name... I don't think I can name one comedian that didn't come in over those years. That's pretty great. I know. It's just a wonderful situation and, and the great respect and all the rest of it. Um, I just wonder, a lot of my suppose, are doing podcasts like this one now because yeah. radio is a different business than it used to be. Less and less edgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I don't really understand that thinking because now there, this big announcement came out that cable TV is about ready to close down. Oh, wow. Because it's all streaming now. and, and specific. Well, HBO mm -hmm. dropped the name HBO. That's just called Max now. They did? Or it's going to be. Uh, they haven't changed the logo yet. It's uh, HBO Max. But in the next, I don't know, few weeks or whatever, they're dropping HBO home box office. Huh, because that's crazy. Everybody's going, what the hell's a box office? Well, they don't yeah. even know what that is anymore. But they got to plays and all the rest of it. I, I mean, in my experience, rebranding like that rarely works out well. Oh, really? Agreed. I mean, you've got decades of brand recognition from the name HBO. Oh, God, yeah. Home box office, it. absolutely. I hear, I heard today that AM radio is going away, too. AM radio has been, I mean, it's been yep. pretty much gone for quite a while. That's a shame. But, yeah, I, they're not going to put it in cars anymore. I think Doug said that they're already not putting it in cars. Yeah, Ford especially. Mm -hmm. Ford doesn't put AM in cars at all anymore. Well, I mean, FM is just, it's objectively better. Yeah, it but, is. But so, it, AM is where you get the art bells and the weird, crazy religious That is things. true, and that I true. always love that. Yeah. I just What I don't get is why don't they just transmit FM, aside from because you need to buy a new transmitter. Bandwidth. Because yeah, a but, lot of places the dial is jammed. Yeah, oh, it is, yeah. It Not is, here. Though, yeah. yeah, it's funny because I, I have a friend who does terrestrial comedy uh, or terrestrial radio comedy network, and he said he can never find anything in Minneapolis to get in. Really? Yeah. I suppose. Huh. I, I suppose that is true. I mean, radio in and of itself is going to run into some problems, not because it's not as good as it used to be. Uh, and I don't know if it is or not. If people aren't getting into radio anymore, I don't know. I think they are. But the biggest problem, I mean, you have with all of these radio stations, all the rest of it, a lot of them are owned by hedge funds now. Right. Mm -hmm. And hedge funds destroy businesses. Yeah, That's right. what they do. Right, and they also don't want any flavor. They want it to be like McDonald's. As That's, corporate as possible, yeah. yeah. Corporate as possible. So hedge funds are destroying radio. I don't think terrestrial radio is going to last much longer, other than places like Hubbard, which I happen to be a partner in this podcast with. Right. Because they, they are not deeply in debt. Matter of fact, they're mm. quite a wealthy family, and they didn't do any of those things. Right. I think what will happen is almost all of them will die, but then the remnants will be... They'll remain popular for quite a while. I hope so. Because in your car, it just is easiest to listen to radio. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, like, yeah. you know, podcasts are always a good option, but you kind of have to cue them up ahead of time. Right. You know, yeah. if you're driving down the highway, you yeah, can't, you're tough. not browsing podcasts. No, no not But at all. finding no. something to listen to on the radio, you just hit that dial. You don't even have to look at it. And unless they can yeah. somehow get podcasts to that point, which I don't really see happening... Um, radio's always going to have some place. I think that eventually each town's going to have uh, maybe the top 20 podcasts 
on that are going to be placed on FM because there's going to be nothing else on FM. Well, yeah, right. they probably will. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't done that already. They should have already just done that. And podcast about stations, doing. really. Just nothing but podcast stations, so you don't have to change the channel. I mean, you can bring back the whole, uh, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch The Simpsons or whatever, you'd have to be at the TV 5 p.m. or whatever it was. Right. <laughs> it was 6 o'clock, Andy. Yeah, exactly. Actually, it was 6 yeah. o'clock. The original appointment broadcast. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. And I think they... Bringing that back in podcast form wouldn't be a bad idea because then you don't have to look at the dial because you know, oh, it's, you know, 2 p.m., time for such and such podcast. And the thing about it is if, if they're in their car listening to a podcast on a, on a former radio channel, there will be proof that they're listening to it. So it's not going to hurt the ratings at all. Make the ratings better probably. Right. So I don't know. This is something I maybe I'll – I'll get to work. And I've brought it up a couple of times. Like, why are you wasting all these HD2 signals where you could put really good podcasts on there? Right. And their answer always is because it would destroy radio. Well. And it would because, like you said, it's there are some good stations left in America, but not many. Right. Unfortunately. What do you think of that, Andy? I mean, yeah, I think. Well, I think that there's just like, like you said, they're all owned by hedge funds. So they're all kind yeah. of basically the same. I mean, there's like four different types of radio at this point. There's classic rock, there's Hispanic, there's Christian, <laughs> right. and then there's talk. Right. And talk, in each yeah. group, every station is basically the exact same. That's true. So well, this homogeneity does not help things. I think that, you know, the hedge funds, what they did really was they drove the prices up so that oh, you yeah. couldn't have a crazy radio station. That too, radio. yeah. No, you really can't anymore. I mean, I, and I just, when I left KQRS, what, five months ago now, I talked to every broadcaster in the market, and I like a lot of the people. They were very, very pleasant. There are a lot of friends that I have that st are still are on radio and all the rest of it. But when push came to shove, they just don't have enough money to hire anybody anymore. Right. They they're just don't. Yep. You know, uh, one of the stations in town, and I don't want to, because I have a lot of friends that work there. Right. Uh, their stock just went down to nine cents. Oof. Nine cents. And they pulled it off the stock market, of course, because it went down to nine cents. Right. That's what's coming, be not because of radio, it's coming because of hedge funds. Right. And it's that way across every field. It's not Absolutely. just radio. Oh, no. That, that's why everybody has help wanted signs. Nobody. You no, know, you're right. Yeah. Uh, can we, in some way, change? I suppose we can't because they have all the money. Right. That's the problem. That's yeah. why the disparity is so crazy. Well, they'll dump it eventually and it'll get back to. Good, I well, think, for at least a little while. Man, but, but when they dump it, then you won't have it on the dial on your car anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, the radio stations will basically get a culling, is what right. I'm saying. Oh, right. they, they're they getting a culling right now. Yeah. You're, yeah. It started and I think what, already. What will remain after the fact will be pretty good. There will be a lot less of it, but it'll be things that people actually want to listen to rather than just, like, you know, fill the background noise. Yeah. You just can't be... And I... Don't want to even mention it because, like I said, I have friends at every place in America and radio right. and all the rest of it. But there is a company out there, an American company right now, that is $19 billion in debt. Oof. How are you ever going to make it past that? Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Nope. What are they going to do with all those radio stations? They're going to have to sell them for the bankruptcy. Yeah. They're going to have to sell well, them for the, the bankruptcy. Other thing and they're going to get nothing for them. Is once these right. companies go bankrupt, <laughs> they're going to sell these radio stations for like 50 bucks. <laughs> they are. And that You're right. will be a golden age for private owners to come in and buy these radio stations and put whatever they want on them. And I would use podcasting uh, to put back on those channels because, again, 
it's coming on like gang. It's coming on huge. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We'll see what the situation is. Getting back to laughing a yes, little bit because yeah. we need to get back to laughing a little <laughs> bit with only ten minutes left or eight minutes left in the show. Well, I actually did have a question. Yeah. Oh, so good. Good. Uh, live at the Comedy Store seventy three yes. makes its vinyl debut. Correct. What was it on before vinyl? Uh, before that, so this this one has a weird story. At first, it, it was issued about ten years ago as a promo CD, but you could only get the promo CD if you pre-ordered the No Prior Restraint uh, live in concert box. Ah, so pretty rare then. Yeah, that was the only way you could get it. And I was actually in talks with that label then to do the issue, but things fell apart. Never heard anything about it. And then Omnivore came along and started doing the first two album reissues. And when I reached out to them during our talks, they said, by the way, we have a third record coming. Do you want it? And I go, what is it? Mm. So they, they told me, and I go, yeah, I was supposed to have that 10 years ago. Yes, I want that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I definitely want that. So when it came out through Omnivore, it came out as a download and as a CD. And then no vinyl component huh, at all. Interesting. Yeah, so that was just it was, two years ago. You couldn't get it for like 40 years. Correct. It was a. Uh, it was basically a rehearsal tape that was just uh, squirreled mm, away. It was never meant to be a commercial release. Really? Yeah. So what did they want to use it for? Uh, for reference, because uh, at the time that he recorded that, he was getting ready for the recording sessions of Richard Pryor is crazy. We'll call it that. Yes, that's what we'll call it. Um, so exactly. he was getting ready to record that <laughs> and to do an appearance at, at one of the Soul Train clubs. Oh yeah. So. Uh, that's what he was doing was he was getting he hadn't really been working on stage that much because he'd been doing movies so he was organizing all of his thoughts and trying to separate the next album from the one that he had put out mm -hmm. uh craps through uh laugh records oh yeah that makes you know you just brought that that up that show i used to love the very beginning of that show when he would come on and go i'm don cornelius like aren't <laughs> you sexy yeah absolutely <laughs> Another one of those great things that went away is the uh, teen dance show. Right? Oh, the teen! Oh, god, American Bandstand going all the way back to that whole day. I wonder what why that did go because you would think that school kids, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, would want to come home with their buddies and turn on a TV and dance along with them. Um, Unhip un programmers. I guess that's just what it is. I mean, those things were huge when I was a kid. The, absolutely, but also the style of music changed to be away yeah, from that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You couldn't really do that and have like. Black Sabbath be the band, you know? No, no. that's very, very You're not going to be doing the Charleston to Black Sabbath. Right, and then run DMC, forget it. They weren't even getting played on MTV at the time. No, that's very, very true. So I just, Mel's Rock Pile on SCTV, I still think it's <laughs> one of the greatest shows. Hi, welcome to Mel. He had no personality <laughs> at all. It was just, you're welcome. Welcome to Mel's Rock Pile. It's like, oh, okay. Eugene Levy played the character. Have you ever seen it, Andy? No. Oh, you'd love Mel's Rock Pile. It's very, very funny. Well, it was like Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Yeah, Same that's, exact personality. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly what it was, too. <laughs> that's why that show was so brilliant, because it would make fun of real things. Like, well, I suppose Saturday Night Live started out that way. Then it got very political, unfortunately. But Well, but that's also real life to some people. It is. No, there's no question about that. Um, do you think entertainment has maybe in a couple of ways let us down because everybody's gotten so extreme about any everything? Music came out we could all enjoy together. Does right. that happen anymore? Well, I don't think it's entertainment that got extreme. I think I think that the internet isolates people, especially yeah, yeah, you know, in a pandemic mm -hmm. with 
you know, whatever your political background is, I don't want to get into that. But like, you know, with politics that half the country doesn't get along with one way or the other. Yeah. And yep. then you have the pandemic and then you have police brutality and what happened here in the Twin Cities mm -hmm. and, and, you know, curfews and stuff. And people are stuck at home and they can't go anywhere. There's no release. So they're just dealing with this social media, which isn't reality. But it feels real. Yeah, no matter them, yeah. what you believe, no matter how insane, you can go on the internet and find 10,000 people who also believe it, and yeah. you can make that your reality. Right, right. And, and, and some of those 10,000 people, some of those groups, they're not mentally healthy. Usually oh, they're right not mentally that. healthy. You're right. But so. you don't know that. You just see, oh, they're like-minded individuals. I must have something going here because look at all these people. They all agree with me. Right. Look at how many likes I'm getting. I must be right. Right. And then the next thing you think, there are lizard people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, the and lizard all, people. I and forgot about And all sorts of other, them. you know, crazy. You got yourself and there's some alligator skin right under your, <laughs> or under the human flesh you just slashed open. Yeah, it's just like V, the old TV show. Oh, that's right, V. <laughs> God, V, I, that's, that's been a while. A long while. Somebody told me they, they tried to bring it back. Maybe it was in Canada, maybe. I can't remember. But So, Dan, we only got a couple of minutes left, so I want to talk more about uh, how people can reach out. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are at Stand Up Records. Uh, Facebook is whatever the Facebook.com slash Stand Up Records all run together. And then uh, StandUpRecords.com. We try and make it really branded and really easy for folks. Remember Stand Up Records, and you'll be able to find it on any platform. That is cor correct. Now, May 26th, what happens? May 26th is the official release date of all three records. Uh, Richard Pryor, uh, then also Craps After Hours, and then also Live at the Comedy Store, 1973. And who's on that one? Uh, those are all Richard Pryor. They're albums. all Richard Pryor. Okay, yeah, the first that, two albums plus the new release. God, 73. I can't believe that was 50 years ago. Crazy. And half the stuff he uh. says is not, or actually 90% of it's not dated. No, that is true. If you listen to it, it could have been recorded yesterday. God, it's, I'm so happy. Did you know I was a huge Richard Pryor fan? I had no idea. I didn't think you could know that. <laughs> I literally, there is no bigger here, uh, Richard Pryor fan on earth. Maybe you. You might be a bigger I'm a pretty big fan, but you've been at it a little bit longer than me. Now that's true. But, but I will never forget. I never got a chance to talk to him, talk to his kids a lot and all the rest of it. One of his, you know, five or ten wives, whatever. Was yeah, that? yeah, that's, that's who I talk to. Is two, two of his wives are the same oh, person. God. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So what, yeah, what is that? He, he was really bad at being married, but he kind of always chose the same type of woman, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had trust issues, but, like, <laughs> sometimes the, the person you, you know best is who you want to be with. Yeah, I suppose you know? that's true. And yeah. uh, is, Jennifer's been nothing but great to me, so I have to assume that, you know, mm. that was a constant, regardless yeah. of what other fueled issues Richard might have had, you know? She's yeah. always been nothing but straightforward with me and great to deal with. See, that's really nice. I'm glad you were inspired to do this because I think we really need it right. We need to laugh right now Agreed. as much as at any time in my life. People are all angry and pissed off and one-sided, like you said. It's either far left or far right. I don't want to be involved in any of that stuff. Right. And just to make me right, I don't have to destroy you. Right. You know, what we're doing here, I don't really understand uh, and I don't know if the pandemic fueled part of it, everybody being locked up in the house for three years or whatever the hell it was. But we need to get back to having some fun going out. I saw there was a thing last night, maybe you saw it, 
that the mayor of Minneapolis was on television locally, basically in a not a straight on manner, but kind of hedging his bet a little bit, was basically begging people to come downtown Minneapolis by saying over and over again, it's safe. You can come downtown. It's very safe now. I'm surprised he hasn't replaced all of downtown with multi-story residential with first. Oh, it's happening. It's happening. There's no doubt about that. That's what it's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, eventually the entire uh, city limits of Minneapolis is just going to be one big apartment block. Yeah, adult. Kowloon, Walled City. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, thanks so much for coming in. It's uh, last name is spelled S-C-H-L-I-S-S-E-L. Can people reach out to you? Twitter, Facebook, any, any places? I mean, generally at stand-up records, everything comes to me at some point. It does, point. okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't always see it first. Somebody else might see it. Right. Hey, Dan. So, you know, that's kind of the way it goes. When you're running a massively important media empire like me. Yeah, exactly. You know, too busy. I understand. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have time for all this stuff. Dan, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for As you, uh, new, new things come along in your life, please come back. I would love to. Thanks uh, for having me. It was just to, to talk about how happy I was as a teenager because of Richard Pryor. I will never forget. I guess I wasn't a teenager. I was 20. Still, that's just barely out of it. That's barely out of it. Dan, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.